A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Champions of Happy podcast, the podcast where I talk to my friends about what makes them happy, what makes them smile, and what brings them joy. Hi everyone, I hope you're all having fantastic, lovely, happy, happy weeks. On this episode, I was thrilled to be joined by Chloe O. Davis, the author of The Queen's English. It is literally a dictionary from A to Z about all gay slang, lingo, terminology, language. It's a stunningly it's a stunning book to look at it's it's colorful it's bright it's and it's such a fantastic educational informative tool i had such a fantastic time talking to chloe i was a little bit nervous just because she is so smart and <laughs> well spoken and i really put in the prep for this one and i had a blast and i feel like she's a ray of sunshine and it's a i had a great time i was learning more just by talking to her I really truly enjoyed it I can't recommend this book enough I originally bought it for a friend as a gift and then I had to buy myself one I would recommend every person be you LGBTQ plus or otherwise enjoy the episode remember we are on social media from Instagram Facebook and Twitter so when you're enjoying something let me know share the love and you can also go to iTunes and give us a cheeky five star rating and a nice review so the podcast can continue to grow and get bigger and bigger and we can have more conversations with more people in the meantime here's this week's episode enjoy can you tell my voice is going a little bit today <laughs> I feel like Kermit the Frog Hello, I am overjoyed and so thankful to introduce Chloe, the author of The Queen's English to the podcast. Hello, Chloe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. So I want to do I want to do my introduction justice, but please okay. um, pick me up if I forget anything. You are a actor, dancer, performer, creative body energy, and, and you're also now an author. You have written The Queen's English, the LGBTQIA plus Dictionary of Lingo, Colloquial Phrases. Whew, that's a mouthful. I'm, I'm not very, I'm not very good at talking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me on Champions of Happy today. You're currently in New York, is that right? Yes, New York City. I'm, I'm here. Uh, I love, 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 love New York. It is one of my favorite places in the world. Are you born and bred there from there? Well, actually, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, so that's kind of like Midwest United States, but I've been in New York for at least the past 10 years, so. I love it so much. I've been there twice before. I I mean, granted, I've been there on holidays, so I imagine it's a very different vibe when you live there, but the moment I was there, I was like, this is the place I need to be if it wasn't London, but oh, so jealous. So how do you find New York? generally do you like it (laughs) well you know New York is amazing I mean it's it's home for me because you know like you said I'm in their entertainment industry here so 
you know, my work is here. So um, I love it. I love the culture. I love the diversity. I love the arts. Absolutely. I love Broadway. So New York is great, but I also like to say New York is like a love hate relationship or I'm not married, but maybe it's considered like a marriage, right? You have those moments where you're like, I love you. And you have those moments where you're like, Oh, you're getting on my nerves. And I think with New York, um, because there's so many people here, um, and you know, maybe the trains aren't working right, or maybe, um, the bus is just too crowded or, you know, Times Square is just so crowded. You know, you have those moments, um, that you're like, Oh, New York is a lot, especially. So the thing here, you can have a car, sure, but you don't need it. Um, you know, you'll get in a taxi, take the train or Uber, kind of like, you know, London, right? It sounds but, very similar to London, yeah. Right, very. yeah, it's very similar. But, you know, it's those things too, like when you need to go get groceries and you have to carry all of your groceries, you know, back home, whether uh, it's like 20 blocks and getting on the train. So I think those are the moments where I'm like, oh, man, oh, New York, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I, I think New York's incredible. It just has such a great, vibrant spirit. Um, it's a place like no other. And, you know, particularly after the pandemic, it's really great. Well, the pandemic's still kind of going on. But just to see New York reopen, because we all know New York was very much of a hot spot and, you know, experienced um, a lot of COVID cases. So just to see the city returning, like restaurants opening and more people on the streets, because um, New York was empty. I mean, no one was outside. It was unheard of. Like you could find parking on the street. You know what I mean? That's like, that's very, very odd. So it's just really beautiful to see the city come back to life. Oh, good. I was going to ask about COVID and has it, have you noticed a massive difference? Because I imagine our lockdown is a, is a tad different to yours. Are things generally open again or is it still a slow burner? Yes. So New York was probably one of the last New York state, particularly New York city um, was probably one of the last areas in the U S that, you know, opened up, you know, the kind of a lot of the other um, states had opened up prior to New York, but, and because New York was um, had such high cases, you know, amounts of cases, the city was very, very particular when it opens and, um, and a lot happened with particularly the entertainment industry, my industry, you know, Broadway's just now making its reopening after like almost a year and a half. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it hit, it hit really hard. So that's why I think it's really nice to, you know, see more people in the park and, and restaurants and things like that. Mm. Well, COVID aside, we're not here to talk COVID, but who would talk you and your amazing, <laughs> okay. amazing book. And before we dive into all that, we do start the podcast with the segment, happy moment would you mind sharing your happy moment with us we talked a little bit about broadway and i think my happy moment is that um broadway's back and i actually went to see my first broadway since you know we've opened and oh, it what was did you see passover it's called passover um at the august wilson theater and it was amazing and and when um the stage manager made the announcement you know that the show starting and of course everyone keep your mask up but you know it was like a it was like a standing ovation just to be able to be back in the theaters it was really electri electrifying so I think that was my happy moment it was just so great to feel live theater again mm. oh it's so nice to hear I went I saw a show two weekends ago and it felt strange but exhilarating being back and the, I feel like everyone kind of had that tingly energy about them so 
Mm -hmm. Lovely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So a little bit before we get into the book, I wanted to get into to to know you a bit better. So Mm -hmm. I know from the book on your website that you are a actor, dancer, performer. Can you um, give us a little bit of background as to what you've done, who you are? Yeah. So again, I'm Chloe O'Davis and um, I guess a little bit of, of my resume that I started off in concert dance with a company, the Philadelphia Dance Company, also known as Philodenko, um, based in Philadelphia, PA. Um, I transitioned into musical theater. So I've done um, an off-Broadway called Cabin in the Sky. I've filmed, um, I've been part of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Actually, that's on Netflix now. That features Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman. Um, I did Jesus Christ Superstar Live um, on NBC, and that was with John Legend and Alice Cooper um, and Sarah Bareilles. That was exciting. Um, I made my Metropolitan Opera debut with Porgy and Best um, two seasons ago, I guess, before COVID. Um, so that was exciting. And um, I've done some other uh, television shows, Tell Me a Story. Um, another show called Harlem. And I'm excited that I will make my Broadway debut with the show, the new show Paradise Square. <gasps> How exciting. Oh my God, that's incredible. I Ah, you're so talented. <laughs> Thank you. I'm kind of blown away, speechless. So now you're also an author, which is incredible. So I know the background of the book, having read the bio and the intro, but if you could <laughs> briefly explain what the book is and where it came from. Absolutely. So the Queen's English, the dictionary of LGBTQIA plus lingo and colloquial phrases is actually a celebration of the spectrum of identity. Um, it celebrates, it affirms and brings visibility to, you know, the diversity that expresses what human identity is, right? That's our sexual orientation. That's our sexual anatomy. That's our romantic orientation, our gender identity, our gender expression. It's all very vast and um, beautiful and complex and intersectional. And so this is a dictionary that celebrates that uniqueness of who we are. Um, It's also a great resource to just dive into those conversations about what inclusivity looks like, what diversity looks like, you know, what does intersectionality looks like, um, and have those deeper conversations too about privilege, you know, whether it's cisgender privilege, whether it's male privilege, whether it's white privilege, right? But to understand that marginalization happens, oppression has happened and happens. And particularly when we talk about the LGBTQI plus community, that's something that is heavy, heavily embedded in our community and being able to kind of dive in and see the beauty of, of, of who we are. So that way we, we understand each other. So just, um, it's truly a celebration, a learning tool, but, um, and it's really engaging. It celebrates over 800 terms used to describe our collective gay and queer experiences. It dives into, you know, the lesbian spectrum or um, the animal kingdom, you know, that, that's from like the gay community or um, also words that are particular to non-binary communities or gender non-conforming communities. And, you know, it just goes on and on, but it also dives into the leather scene and, you know, ballroom scene, which we know uh, more about if, if you don't, you know, if you've ever watched RuPaul Drag Race, which I think most of us have, um, it's it's kind of bringing the ballroom scene more mainstream. Um, but, you know, the ballroom scene was 
created by, you know, mostly Black, Latinx, people of color um, to create a safe space of belonging, right? Because of experiencing homophobia or transphobia or racism. And the ballroom scene was the place that you can feel safe and empowered and celebrated. And you had the balls to celebrate your artistic spirit. So, so that's the other little thing too. It's not just about terms, but it's also about the history. So um, I like to say the Queen's English is about identity, history, and pride. So, you know, language is created because we need to articulate who we are and experiences that possibly mainstream didn't articulate in a way that feels affirming, empowering. And so we create language and I just wanted to be able to document our language and the historical uh, creation of the language, right? The language Mm -hmm. we um, here now, particularly in like 2021, soon to be 2022, is very different in the 1960s, very different in the 1980s during the AIDS crisis, right? So it's one of those things, it's language, but it's also let's talk about the historical relevance of why the language was created or how the language has evolved and transformed, right? When we talk about queer, you know, queer was, well, if we think of queer in a, in a, in a very uh, traditional sense, you don't just mean something that's particular, you know, or peculiar or, you know, strange, right? But then it became, you know, queers, something that was derogatory, right? To talk about someone who, you know, was gay or um, talk about homosexuality, right? And over time, um, particularly during the AIDS crisis, queer was reappropriated and and given more power to the community to say like, yes, I'm queer and I feel empowered and affirmed and you know, you may have one definition, but I have mine and, and I'm going to take this word and give it, you know, power and give it positivity. And so that's why we, we, we see more people, particularly like millennials and Gen Z's using the word queer was because it went through that evolution. And so I think that's really important too. It's not just about the dictionary, but it's also giving us insight as to the history of words, you know, um, the evolution of words, the etymology of words. So, yeah. I it, it itself is a beautiful book. It's from the from the out, the exterior, the interior, and I love how you mentioned you brought up the um the animal section. I'm still trying to work out what I am. I'm not a twink anymore. <laughs> not quite an otter. I feel like a twas. I, I, like I, I a was twonk, a twas a, a twink. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not a twunk. I'm a twa- okay. I think I'm a twas. Twas a twink. I'm aging twink. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm an old man now. Um, and I, I really feel it's it is a really great educational tool. I I know I knew because I am a thirty something year old now, so I knew a lot of the terms already and the history. But I think it's a tool every LGBTQ plus person should have at whatever age. I think, especially for people who are just coming out and just finally mm-hmm. just coming into the community, it's such a useful handy tool and I was reading it learning tools and uh, t- terms I'd never heard of before when I was like yeah oh, hadn't heard of that one <laughs> that's an interesting yes one. I think that's and, great thank you thank you for mm, that support no yeah. absolutely and I love how the beginning it really explains more the history of the um the language coming from the Harlem black gay scene and the the, the uh, ballroom scene and I was like that is mm-hmm. still an area I'm I mean I'm a white man and it's still quite an area mm-hmm. I'm not too familiar with so reading it through here and on programs like um legendary and pose it's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like oh it's not all just from RuPaul's Drag Race as much as we all love RuPaul's Drag Race it's there's a no. lot more history there's behind history. it than just that exactly. it's not just yes queen it's yes it's and exactly. I, it's important for us to all 
know that. I'm, I'm happy you, you actually brought that up. And that's what, that was another big uh, reason of, of creating this dictionary because what happens, you know, in, in the larger LGBTQ um, IA community, but particularly in the black American community, black American culture and, you know, black gay culture, black trans culture, black queer culture, appropriation happens. And, you know, I think with the main, like how, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race has, is very mainstream, it's international. But what's happening is you're hearing these words, but you're not knowing necessarily the meaning or who created it because the faces that are actually saying the words may not be the faces that are originated the words. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they see, um, you know, particularly white people, you know, or white gay men or white queens, you know, saying these words, but it didn't come from that community. It comes, it comes from a black community, a black gay queer community. Right. Um, and also a black, you know, Latinx community. So I think it was really important to talk about the Harlem Renaissance. So when we think about the word in the life, um, when we talk about in the closet, these, these phrases are over a century old, you know, that they were, they were coined back in the 19, early 1920s. Um, when we, when we hear the word dyke, right. That, you know, that's another word like queer, right. When words that have been, uh, at, once were derogatory, but have been reclaimed by some members of the community. And I say some members because not everyone reclaims them and feels like it's empowering. So I do want to make sure that 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 is valid, that there are different experiences. But particularly dyke comes from the word bull dagger, bull dyke. And that's another word that came from the Harlem Renaissance. And it just clearly meant Black women who were attracted to women were bull dykes, bull daggers, or, you know, that, that's your sexual orientation. Or when we talk about gender expression, that you would have uh, women who um, oftentimes had more of a masculine flair, right? Like decide, you know, wanted to, you know, we call it butch, right? Um, but that was also considered someone who was a bull dagger, bull dagger. So it was a negative connotation. You know what I mean? It just, it just is what it is. It was before lesbian. Lesbian didn't come into the scene until decades after, right? There were other words that were used before gay and lesbian. Um, and bull dyke, bull dagger happened to be one. However, it got shortened to dyke. It got taken out of the community, right? Po- the power of language and how people can use language that's not theirs to harm others. And this was one of them. Like dyke, you know, dyke was one of them. But again, just like queer, members, some members of the community, you know, took it back, gave it as power. And so some people feel very empowered and, you know, affirmed by being called a dyke um, or calling themselves a dyke. It's not that you call someone else that. And I think that's the other thing that I like to educate in the dictionary about language and labels is that the only labels we should use for each other are the labels that that person has self-assigned. Any other thing is incorrect. You know, that's, that's not, not respectful it's it's not admirable so if someone has identified themselves as as something then that is what we, we call them you know what i mean mm. no, yeah totally i that's I'm, I'm learning new now i didn't realize lesbian wasn't the original word i also always oh no oh my gosh lesbian. i'm learning no. so much i love this oh. lesbian actually is like more i you know i don't i don't want to like throw out a date but it definitely was after the 1960s probably after the 1970s um i have to dig in and do a little bit more research but yes but before you know before the word even before so even i know it was definitely after the 1960s because in the 1940s the ideas of butch femme binary was created right so 
so we have to remember like how this world has evolved <laughs> um, when, or, you know, we talk about so many, we talk about sexism, racism, genderism, but in the 1940s, that was the first time, you know, pretty much women were allowed to go out without men. Right. And what was happening were these dive bars were being right. Blows your mind. 1940s. But, um, you know, women, particularly in the U.S., would go to, you know, starting these like lesbian dive bars. I say lesbian, but it's just women who, you know, were attracted to women. And what was happening is um, either you were a femme, right? You were femme. So you were a a woman who was attracted to other women and presented yourself in a more feminine, traditionally feminine way. Or you were butch, right? And you were a woman who liked another woman or attracted to women and you presented yourself in a more masculine player. So that's when the butch femme binary was created in the 1940s. And then the Kiki girls, right? We've heard his name because when we think of Kiki, we think of maybe possibly the ballroom scene. Um, and it just means to have a good time, socialize, to laugh. But the Kiki girls were those who did not... Um, it, you know, did not decide to put themselves in this binary, right? They didn't want to necessarily represent themselves in a feminine or only a feminine or masculine way. And they didn't want to only be attracted to those who were feminine or masculine. And it's interesting because they were actually kind of the outcast in the community, right? If you were a kiki, if you were a kiki girl, it's kind of like, you were kind of like shunned a little bit because you weren't fitting within the binary. So uh-huh. <laughs> we have a problem with wanting to make sure everyone fits in like these binaries. And I think what Queen's English does is just kind of you know, that it's not about binaries. You know, it is about a spectrum. It is about the vastness and the diversity. How was your journey making the book? Did you, was the plan went from the get-go to say, I'm going to write a book one day about <laughs> gay lingo or how did it first originate? Well, so I talked a little bit about where I, f- I first started my professional career, and it was a company called Philodanko in Philadelphia. And um, so this is back in 2006. So I'm actually kind of telling my age a little bit. But um, a lot of my friends on the company were gay men, Black gay men, but also part of the ballroom scene. So some of, some of the first, and even being in, inter- in the entertainment industry, there's just some words that I just knew already, like, I've, I've heard fierce and work since I was like 10 years old. You know what I mean? Because I'm, mm-hmm. as a dancer, this is what it is. But I, a lot of also my teachers were black gay men, right? So I was kind of already being introduced to the language. But when I was in Philodanko, I was being introduced to a lot more vibrant phrases, right? So like, you know, thinking of like, what's the T or tens across the board or, um, you know, over, um, of course, Slay. Slay came before Beyonce, everyone. Just wanted to let you know. But, you know, I was learning these phrases and terms. And I I said, after about, I want to say like 50 or something, because I, I, I'm a nerd also. So I was kind of like, I was jotting them down. And what, you know, a lot of times when you're defining a word, particularly if it's considered slang, I don't consider this language slang. This is, this is um, cultural language. But when someone considers language slang, they, you know, you kind of define it with slang. And so what I was doing, um, no pun intended to be my UK audience, but when I was doing it, I would literally, you know, think of the Oxford dictionary and try to find, you know, a way to define the slang word with, with, um, you know, a very academic English definition. And, um, it was actually kind of funny and it was, it was, it was a, it was a pastime. This is what we will do. Like when we're traveling on our tour bus or, 
um, you know, I would hear a word and I'm like, Hey, does it mean, you know, this? And everyone was like, yeah, it does. And so that was the thing we did. And after about like 50 words or so, you know, I said, there's this language is like fully developed. There should be a dictionary. And a friend challenged me and said, well, yeah, when you write it, call it the Queens English. So that's also how I got his name, but that's what happened. And I don't know if I really thought I was going to do it, but I did it uh, 15 years later. And, it, you know, it's complete over 800 terms. So that's how it started. But, you know, it's been an experience within itself. It started with, you know, uh, learning more about the ballroom scene. But as an artist, it's something interesting that I always get to be implanted in really amazing spaces where you know, people are so authentic within themselves, right? So I'm, you know, I'm in spaces with people who feel affirmed or feel like they can truly express their identity. So that's how I was able to meet other people that were part of the leather community or part of, you know, the lesbian uh, scene. I'm bisexual, you know, um, part of, you know, the gender non-conforming, non-binary you know, communities, the trans communities, the black trans communities, the Muslim queer communities, the Asian gay and queer communities, you know, I was able to just continue to meet people who would continue to introduce me to more people when I told them I was writing a dictionary. And it was kind of like a celebration. It was kind of like, yeah, this is awesome. Absolutely. And we just kept diving into words and just more, I would have continue to have like interviews and, you know, group discussions on, you know, gay and queer language. And I just kept documenting. And again, 15 years later, over 800 terms later, almost 900 terms. Ta-da, <laughs> you know? Did, did you find when you told people you were doing the book, uh, people would start to say, oh, do you know this word? Oh, do you know this word? No, it was excitement all the time. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, you know, some conversations, it would just be so many words. I'm like, wow. And I think it was great because if I was in a different you know, community or a different part of the U.S. or the world, and I would hear the word again, I'm like, wow, okay, this is, that's great. It's affirming. It's like, oh, no, this is truly a word that's used in multiple places. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would, it would just be excitement on like teaching words and, you know, digging out definitions or plural, right? Because there's sometimes more than one way to define a word. And I wanted to make sure, again, that validity was there. And, um, and then also it was such a learning experience for myself, but for the people I was talking to, because what makes this dictionary so special again, because it covers the diversity, you know, of who we are, the intersectionality of our race, of our age, you know, of our, um, relationships, orientation, relationship orientations, right. Of our sexual orientation of our, you know, um, gender expression, gender identity, and I'm able to dive in and, and bring visibility to all of that diversity. And that's not something that has happened before. You know, some, a lot of times it's written from one lens. Um, and a lot of times it's from a white gay lens, you know, and it, and it may, it may have, you know, lesbian, um, a lesbian lens there, but is it a white lesbian lens or is it a lesbian lens that includes people of color? Right. So that's the thing. It's like, this is truly a celebration of, all identity, you know, not just the uh, uh, majority view. There is no majority. There is no norm- normality. The norm- normality that's there is the fact that it's diverse. So that's the celebration of the dictionary. Amazing. Did you find when it when it came to because obviously 
you're based in America, but when it came to other countries like, like the UK, for example, did you how did you learn about uh, words and terms from yeah. the UK? Larry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Larry. Yeah. So I, I love research. I think that's something that I found doing this dictionary that I love research. I'm good at it. You know, um, so I just started to dig in. And also, um, I had a consultant, a UK consultant. Her name is Paula Akpan. She also wrote the forward for the UK edition. Mm. And she was so very helpful um, with, with diving into material. But, you know, one thing I can say about research, you know, for when I was working on the US version from like 2006 through 2010, you didn't have a lot of resources, right? It's like the resources had to come from primary sources. And what I'm finding now, you know, in these last couple of years, there are a lot more resources now that, that dive deeper into, you know, gay and queer identity, um, culture, and representation. And so I think also that was very, very helpful um, for me to be able to dive into these like online resources and you know, pull things. Um, you know, I love Stonewall. That was a great resource to use and being able to talk with individuals there. And, you know, again, I tried to use kind of like the same process, like, you know, friends that I know that are from the UK connecting me with other people. So I tried to use the same aspect and um, because there's a portion in the dictionary called, did you know? Um, and that dives into, again, kind of like that nuance, the etymology, the history, the evolution. And I thought it was really important to make sure to have that information in there for the UK. But, you know, it, it takes a village. And so I'm really happy um, that I was able to have that type of assistance, particularly from Paula and Paula connecting me with other people in the UK to help write the UK um, version. Have you ever been to the UK yourself? I have. I have. Um, it's been a while. I am going to make it over this year. I'm just going to try to figure out <laughs> when it's just, you know, there with the COVID protocols, but they've been lifted now. You know, you don't have to quarantine for so long, but you had to quarantine mm. for 10 days. And I was like, OK, well, there's my trip. So um, I'm going to I'm going to make my way over there. I have to. I mean, I have to visit, you know, all of the amazing bookstores that have the Queen's English and just, you know, celebrate, celebrate over there. Yes. How does it feel knowing that you're most likely now going to be quoted in a lot of university lectures and, and essays and all sorts of things? Because this is this is not, this is gold for a student. Thank you. Kind of reference. I would be using oh, this man. when I was back at university. <laughs> you know, I didn't think of that, but I think that's exciting. I think yeah. that, that's exciting. I think the most important thing is that we're talking about it, as long as we're having these open conversations, you know healthy conversations about what identity looks like. I think that's the goal. You know, I want, I want the healthy conversations to be, you know, through universities, through corporate, you know, um, you know, corporate settings, you know, um, charities, organizations, but most importantly, families. The, the book does acknowledge that language over time does change. And I know we mm-hmm. you briefly mentioned it before, especially the word queer, because in the UK, queer, fag, poof, originally mm-hmm. were negative words and over time they've been reclaimed as more words that we try to use in, in empowerment and I remember having a conversation with an older person of an older generation who was very much uh, of the time where queer was used as a a mm-hmm. negative word and I still it dawned on me the other day it's like how when did I learn because I'm from the north and the north mm-hmm. England and the north I mean even within the UK we 
the language is different different wherever you go and and how yes. it's used to, like, i would i personally don't like the word fag to, to call myself <laughs> said but i know mm-hmm. others wouldn't mind and the word queer that was an interesting one for me because i always thought queer was not necessarily a negative but and lifestyle is the wrong word as well being queer is you're born queer um but I don't know how to, I'm not very good at articulating this. No, no, I think, I, I think I know what you're, you're saying. And I guess that's why I, when I was explaining, wanting to show the validity of both sides and how we receive words, right? Words, mm. the same word can empower and hurt at the same time based on how it, it directly um, interceded your life, right? So someone you know, who's 60 plus or even 50 plus, you know, and experienced more of queer being thrown at them with malice and, um, um, and, and hurtfulness, they're not going to connect to that word, regardless if it is evolved or not. It's just like, that's not something I feel that I want to be part of my vocabulary to identify who I am. And the same thing with you, when you were talking about faggot, you're like, look, some people, may feel good about that and but I don't and that's okay because I think that what I want to articulate again is that identity is a personal journey and the labels that we give ourselves they are ours and ours alone based on our experience and how we want to feel empowered so that's the power of language and I think the other thing that's most important is we have to um, respect give the validity and compassion to understanding that there are multiple ways people can interpret the word. And that's why also in the Queen's English, you see those definitions. And also the usage note will say this term was once derogatory, but some, you know, or maybe derogatory, but some members of the community have reappropriated it as a more positive uh, self-acclimation, right? Again, it's about just telling the truth. The truth is there are different experiences how people interpret this word. And the truth is there's validity in both of those experiences. And I think that's, again, what we have to realize that just because it's my way doesn't mean it's the right way. It's the right way for you, but it may not be the right way for the other person. So I think that when it comes to like understanding our difference and being compassionate to who we are, who we each of us are evolving into, I think that's kind of the common thread of what will help our evolution. Because fact is, if faggot doesn't feel good to you, it doesn't have to feel good to you. And you don't have to say, Oh, you know, no, no one should call you that if that doesn't feel good to you. If you have not, if you have not identified yourself as such, then no one should call you that. Just like queer, you know, if no, if it's like, look, I'm not queer. I am, someone can say, no, I'm not queer. I'm gay, period. Or no, I'm not queer. I'm pan. You know, if you want to be particular like that, that's fine too. It's about respecting who we are. You know, we are all unique. We are all diverse. We're different. And our uniqueness is what helps humanity evolve and grow you know and flourish so I think that's the larger conversation it's like we have to open our minds to understand that we're not supposed to fit in boxes and we're not supposed to walk in a line that's not what we're supposed to do we're supposed to exist we're supposed to evolve we're supposed to encourage inspire you know that's the truth of humanity so this is why you're the academic and I'm the hobbyist (laughs) podcaster that was that was such a beautiful answer thank you for that 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 made a lot of sense and it I can still feel my brain clicking even as I'm having this conversation, which is great because we're talking mm. and we're discussing. Um, thank you for that. You touched on it a little bit before, but did you find, discover anything within yourself or your personal life when you oh. were learning new terms and such? Did anything like so, click and go, oh, this is what yes. I've been trying to say? 
Yes. I think that was one of the reasons I continued creating because I would have a resource who I am, right? Because I mean, I didn't meet someone who was openly bisexual until my 20s. That's to me, that's problematic. And I didn't necessarily know if like how I identified was valid, was acceptable, was okay. And so I wanted to find more words to help me along my journey. And I write this in my introduction that, that you know, learning words about heteroflexible, um, bi-curious, you know, bisexual, demisexual, you know, kind of showed the evolution of my identity. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when the idea in my mind was like, oh, I like her, you know what I mean? And I remember also when I was like, hey, I, I know who I'm attracted to, but it feels uncomfortable when I'm not in spaces that welcome it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like truly being out in all spaces. So the word of that could be like closet or semi-closet. I remember experiencing that. And I also remember being firm and saying, hey, this is who I am. And I also, you know, have like understood and experienced or had a journey with being polyamorous, you know, and, and I've, I also know that I'm demisexual. So, and all of these terms, you just have to grab the dictionary to look them up. But, (laughs) but, um, but if you talk about, for instance, demi, demi means, you know, partial or half. And when we talk about sexual, you could be, if you're asexual, it's like a one spectrum where it's like a a lack of desire for, you know, sexual relationships versus allosexual. And that is a desire for sexual relationships. And then you have that demi right in the middle. And for me, it's the idea of where, yes, the attraction is there. The sexual desire is there, but there's more to it. There needs to be this trust and this emotional and mental bond um, and connection that has to be there for it to happen. Right. So, you know, understanding more about myself to say, okay, that's me. You're not weird. It's true. There's a word for it. So having going through the dictionary and finding these terms and saying, wow, that's me, you know, made me feel empowered. So it also has helped me truly advocate, you know, for people understanding the spectrum of identity. So that way people can feel empowered in who they are. You know, I, I say this too, like with those who may consider like, oh yes, you know, I'm, I'm straight, you know, I'm just a cis, cis het person. That means like cisgender heterosexual person. Cool. But guess what? There are more parts to you. There's also your relationship orientation, you know, like, is it open? Is it poly? Is it monogamous? You know what I mean? Um, is it kink? Is it vanilla? Like, what are those other aspects of, of you? That's also part of your identity. So again, it's that deeper conversation of just pulling back the layers of who we are, because it, again, it makes us special. It makes us unique. Oh, I have a really vague, boring question. You probably asked, have been asked a million times, but do you have any favorite terms or, or, or words? I have uh, something I like to say is that the dictionary is full of zaddies and daddies and mommies and, and MBs and bears and twinks and otters. Oh my. (laughs) 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 That's amazing. Oh, I love that. And I love a zaddy as well. Uh, (laughs) We are are coming to the end of the podcast, but it is a really, truly stunning book. Just the, the exterior, the interior. I love the pages that, teach a bit more about just history there's a section about the pride flags there's a section mm-hmm. that, like we've mentioned before the um the animal kingdom the hanky code which I, mm-hmm. I i knew about but i didn't really know about until i read the book so if you want to find out more buy the book um 
<laughs> what what's next for you and the book and going in the forward in the future well you know i think it's really important that this dictionary can also be formatted for our younger generation so i would love to do a children's edition or a youth edition i feel like this dictionary could you know be of course appropriate for you know those um secondary and uh college students um and and it's it's also something that you can read together as a family you know especially if they're someone like you know 14 13 and just have deeper in those conversations and then kind of you know just skip over some of those terms that are um, there that, you know, focus on actual sexual encounterments, but, you know, I, I want something that is a little bit more digestible for those who are like seven to 10 want to create, uh, a resource to help younger people find that exploration with their identity. Um, and it, and it feels, it feels good. It feels affirming. It feels right. So. That's amazing. Yeah, I think, like you say, the book is, I think, could be read by families, um, mm -hmm. older people, but for a, a younger, younger, younger book would be amazing. And I think that, yeah, that Thank would you. off the shelves, especially now, especially when younger people are really discovering themselves and coming out a lot younger than like exactly back in my day. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if this is going to work, but I thought we just play a very, very quick, short game. How would you feel if I picked like three random words from the book? And then you describe them as best as you can and give an example of how that word would be used, like you do in the book. That's so great. I'm That's flipping great. to a completely random page. Flit. <laughs> a flit. A flit is a gay person. <laughs> um, someone um, who identifies with homosexuality. Um, and it was an old term. It's actually something that was based in like the 1950s, I think is when that term came out but it is an older term ah, okay an example you give is ah at last we have arrived the gay beach where every flit is wearing a speedo and holding a cocktail i will be using the word flit forever now <laughs> okay because um, <laughs> i often go to the beach with a speedo and a cocktail um <laughs> dapper dapper so dapper is um a look that is it's kind of like if we say swag now it was like dapper it was a, it was a more pro, uh, proper way of saying it but it's just someone who looks you oftentimes um someone who is um male or mask right um and someone who is very uh much dressed in a way that's um the presentation is very refined um and i like to say swag but swag that's refined nice and the great part about the book is you have a section where it says want more info and you say mm -hmm. think buttoned up or handsome which is mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. uh, and so for the last <laughs> for the last word um uh power top oh well a power top okay <laughs> this is so all totally random this is great this is great so a top a top um, when we talk about um, male to male um, sexual uh, connection intercourse, it's usually someone who is penetrating, right? Um, and you can say, even if it's not male to male, but just person to person, it's someone who could be also dominant and, um, and penetrating in some type of way. So it doesn't have to be just a male. It could be someone who's non-binary. It could be someone who's femme. Um, um, but yes, it could, it could be, um, someone who's non-binary, you know, uh, male, 
female, but just someone who is, is dominant or penetrating and power just means you are dominant in that, that like, (laughs) that is your thing. You were, you control it. You were the dominator. You were the dominant top. (laughs) Thank you you so much, James. This is great. Absolute pleasure. You are so articulate and so well-spoken and I feel like I've learned, I'm learning just by listening to you and I love it. Thank you so much. I love the book. I genuinely do love the book. I bought it for a friend as a gift then I had to buy it for myself. Yes. Um, yes. It's, it's, it's a stunning book. Who, where can people get it? Well, you can definitely get it at your independent bookstores, which I definitely recommend. Um, there's amazing store, of course, Gaze the Word. Um, but you can also, of course, get it at Amazon or um, Penguin Rand House. So Penguin's UK site, you can definitely go on there and purchase it. But yeah, it's, it should be pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and how, if, uh, if our listeners want to find out more about yourself uh, or the book itself, how do you have any social mm-hmm. media feeds you can share? Yes, absolutely. So um, at the Queen's English US, that is on Instagram um, and also Facebook, but also you visit the website, www.thequeensenglishus.com. Well, thank you so much. I can't recommend the book highly enough. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure and it's really brightened up my Tuesday um so thank you very much we'll say goodbye for now and I'm sure we'll be in touch again in the future sounds great thank you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello Fresh. 